Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who has climbed the highest mountain and has run through the fields, but he still hasn't found what he's looking for. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean... So for this episode, we have a special guest. He's a member of the band Fast Romantics. Their most recent record is called Pick It Up. Please welcome to the podcast from Fast Romantics, Matthew Angus. Oh, hello. Hi. Hello. How's everything north of the border? Better than you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Don't. Don't get us started on uh, on the political stuff. We've we've been way more political the last couple months than I think uh, we've been um, the entire time we've been doing this podcast. Is that pretty accurate, Wayne? Uh, yes, that's fair to say. Yeah, I don't blame you, but we don't have to. I'm sure we all feel similarly. Um, but yeah, I'm, I hope you guys are okay. It's it's uh, it sounds scary, especially in your state. Yes. Yes, it is a little scary down here in Florida, but uh, we're we're working through it. All right. Well, premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music instead of the um, orange-haired one. Um, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, I ask the all-important question. I'm going to start with you, Wayne. So uh, what T-shirt are you wearing? Um, well, two, two reasons prompted this shirt. Number one, I can't keep wearing a different shirt if I don't start wearing older shirts. And... <laughs> This album was had a lot to do with the the myth of America, and what's more, myth of America than Harley Davidson. So I have my big horse, or no, it's wild horse uh, Harley Davidson in Bend, Oregon. All right, perfect. How about you, Matthew? What T-shirt are you wearing? Uh, yeah, I didn't. I did not get a memo about a T-shirt, so I'm wearing a <laughs> I'm wearing a button up. Uh, okay, and it's uh, white with a bunch of patterned toucans on it. Um, so I, it, that means absolutely nothing to anyone, I'm sure. But um, there you go. I, yeah, I was just going to ask any significance to the two cans. Uh, a rare bird, um, uh, and also makes delicious cereal. Oh, absolutely! Love me some Fruit Loops, absolutely. <laughs> All right, uh, so I'm wearing a, a new shirt to the collection. So uh, my good pal Wayne bought me a uh, not a surf T-shirt while when they were on sale a few weeks ago. Very nice. So thank you, my friend. Oh, you're welcome. Nice gift. Yeah. So it's uh, always good to have a new new shirt in the collection, especially when it's one of your favorite bands. So there you go. All right. Well, let's – I was going to say, Matthew, in the introduction, the Canadian band – fast romantics, but I, I bet you guys are sick of being labeled in that manner. Or am I, am I wrong? Does the nationality thing matter? Well, it makes us harder to pop off in America by the seams of it. But other than that, um, I, I proud of, I'm proud of how we're doing and who we are up here, but, um, no, it's fine. It's good for them to know that I'm Canadian. Uh, it's good for us and me to know that you're American, uh, I guess. All That's right. We sound like we sound about the same. There you go. <laughs> we, sound about, we sound about the same. There you go. There you go. And you're and you're not our first Canadian guest. So we've had okay. we've had a few. Um, do you know Ken Yates? Uh shoot. No. <laughs> okay. Um, how about Lucette? Oh yeah, Lucette. Uh, Lucette's great. Um, yeah, really good. And then we had Tyler from Said the Well. Oh, Tyler is a dear bud. 
We love, love Tyler. I uh, love Set the Well. We went on tour with Set the Well. So Oh, awesome. Tour. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, well uh the the one question that I've got, so I'm I was looking at, at your website and I'm I'm gonna throw out some some bio type of questions, but you you've assembled a group of mus- musicians together for this band who also have their own, I guess, presence by themselves. So what is it about um Canadians doing the whole ensemble thing, I think better than the Americans. Like when I'm thinking of the ensemble groups, I'm thinking, you know, broken social scene, new pornographers, um, wild rivers is somebody that I, I became associated with, um, uh, a couple of years ago. And then of course said the well, which I just mentioned. Yes. Um, and when by ensemble group, you just meet a whole bunch of people with uh, differing intentions and backgrounds getting together and somehow not killing each other. Yes, that's yeah. exactly what I mean. Uh, well, I don't know. We're friendlier apparently up here, but I don't know. That may be the myth of Canada. Um, I, uh, I feel like it's just sort of like a necessity that you you team up in the music business, at least up here, I think. You know, there's plenty of solo artists and there's plenty of just singular human beings with human names. But um, I don't know. There's a lot of big there's a lot of bands in the States, aren't there? I, is it less of a phenomenon now? Like it's a whole different economic experience being in a band in Canada than it is in the States, too. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking like, you know, I know the Decemberists would kind of fall into that category, maybe Arcade Fire. But but even when I'm thinking of Arcade Fire, I don't think that those guys are doing many solo projects or maybe I'm just not a big um, enough arcade fire to fan to know the, the, the any better. But arcade fire Canadian. So yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> Oh, did, that's well, right. Lynn is American. So uh, see that. And that's, and that's probably why I didn't, didn't lump that. Yeah. They're hybrids. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, it's, it's, I love it. It's always been kind of, the way I've seen making music, like ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to be in a gang of musicians, you know, and while it's not, um, it's, it's not, uh, the most cost effective way to make music, especially now. And it certainly isn't, um, always the easiest way for your ego to get, uh, around being in music. Um, I don't know. I just, I've always believed in like surrounding yourself with people that will call you on your BS and, um, and, and kind of contribute in ways that you couldn't contribute. So yeah, it's working for us. Although it took a while, right, for us to get our lineup straight. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So let's let so let's talk about new records. So um, you in the in the bio you had mentioned that uh, you were battling some depression, um, which left every song unfinished. Um, it's not always easy to admit that whole depression thing. Um, I think there's a few other people on this podcast that, uh, have, have suffered from, from that. Uh, and I'm raising my hand right now. Um, so it's, it's, so it's, so it's great that you can, you could admit that that was part of the creative roadblock. So how, how are you doing right now? Considering that the world is, uh, kind of in a weird spot right now. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think I was gonna bring it up in the context of the record, um, except that it, it and it, it's so much more complicated than just saying like, I, I experienced depression for a couple of years and it stopped us from finishing a record, which is obviously how we've written it. 
um, in our bio or whatever, but you know, I've like been fighting anxiety and depression since I was a kid, um, varying degrees. And it sounds like, you know what that's about, um, to some degree too. And, and yeah. it's like a, you know, it's, it's not something you really want to talk about <laughs> or brag about. <laughs> um, but it also like was so, uh, so core to the process of making this because like we were maybe 75% done a record and it just wasn't getting finished and, and everybody was probably getting frustrated with me. And, and it was the pandemic that like kind of shocked me out of the current bout of depression I was experiencing. It was like, while everyone else was freaking out, I was just, it was like a revelation to me, I think. And I, um, right now I'm, like I've kind of been thriving somewhat guiltily in a, in a time when a lot of people are going through a lot of stuff. I feel kind of maybe guilty that I've been, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm enjoying it, but I, I'm definitely finding my way back to being a normal human being through the process of re-engaging with making a record and, and, you know, re-engaging with my friends in this band and, and kind of realizing why I do it. It can be a dark experience being in a band <laughs> in 2020. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of, I think that was a, probably a source of some of the depression, but remembering why I did it, you know, when the whole world gets locked down and everyone's losing their jobs and everyone I know is in live music is basically like, okay, I guess I'll be a carpenter now. Um, yeah. So like that was like this, it's like a friggin' earthquake and, and it kind of made me go, well, why did I start this? It wasn't for the money. Um, and it was easy at that point to be like, because I need to make this music. And that's how everyone in this band feels. And so it was easy at that point to just be like, well, let, let's just make the music. No outcomes, no ideas about what happens next. Let's just make it the way we want to make it. Yeah. Is there a certain pressure that maybe people put on themselves of, I got to make this record and it's got to translate to the stage well enough that people are going to have like this you know, euphoric, um, experience when they hear us live. So knowing that that might not be happening for a while, is that part of the, the being able to just concentrate on the music and not concentrate on any of the other crap that goes along with it? Man, that might be part of it. I didn't think about that. That, that could be part of it. Um, you know, largely, I think I was just going through this transformation the last few years where, I was suffering from that kind of sophomore, uh, oh, people suddenly started playing our music on the radio. I didn't expect that to ever happen, yeah. thing, you know? And then all of a sudden you're like doing things for the wrong reasons and you're like shortening that chorus and you're like bringing it in earlier and you're like, wait, I wouldn't do that in my soul. <laughs> um, you know, it was like a confusing period. And, and so, yeah, it's partially, it, like what you said is the same thing. It's like, you can't make, you can't write songs thinking about the outcome. You can't program your audience's reaction. You, you And you certainly can't predict what radio programmers even want because they don't even bloody know. Right. You know? right. So I think it, that was just like, I had to get through that period of, of like outcome-based songwriting and realize that's not how you do it. And it's not, you know, it's not rewarding and you end up being really bummed out. And I'm kind of on the other side at this point. So it feels good for sure. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, so going back to the, the, the radio programmer. So you've got a, you've got a song on the record called ISO radio 
Is that abbreviation for in search of, or is there something else to oh, that song? You're, you're so freaking insightful. I, um, <laughs> no, no, I guess, but, but maybe I, <laughs> I'd forgotten about the ISO abbreviation. Um, no, it was, uh, I'll just admit what that actually is. Um, okay. Uh, you know, no, no shame here. Uh, we put the last track on the record, do no wrong, uh, on the record because we felt like, you know, it kind of had a radio moment up here and people, we, we should commit it to wax or whatever, but we felt like it really didn't belong with the rest of the record. So we constructed this track to go in between top of the mountain, uh, which is like the other track before do no wrong and do no wrong to sort of try to make a transition that made half a world of sense. Um, okay into that song. And so all I did was I got this app that lets you tune in randomly to any radio station in the world live. And I just pressed the button and out comes this like weird radio play about some guy getting abducted by aliens or something and then getting shot. <laughs> it just, it just right. you know, I don't know why I felt right. So I just warbled it up and we like played a little bit of like weird piano to it. It's not a, it's not a song. It's an, it's a, it's a bridge between two worlds. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. I love the fact that you brought up sequencing because um, we're. I'm going to bring that up again. Okay. So if I if I forget if I forget by the time we get to Mothers of the Disappeared, I want you to bring it up. Okay. So I'm oh, going to try and bring I'm going to try and bring it up again. But we'll, okay. we'll we're going to table that for a second. So um, so let's let's talk about a couple of the other songs that are on the record. So uh, tell me about the song. Pick it up. Pick It Up was definitely not supposed to be a fast romantic song. It was, um, it was like a, it was in the heat maybe last year, I guess, like late last year when I was really having the rough part of the rough go and um, just wrote a little ditty just to myself, like a pep, pep song kind of thing, pep up thing. And uh, I showed my partner, Curdy, who's also in the band, um, just thinking like, hey, this is, this is good if I was Carol King. And uh, <laughs> and then she fell in love with it and convinced me to show the band, and they all really loved it. And so we were like, "Well, maybe this could be an FR song." And then, you know, so it was like this song that kind of signaled the waning end of my depressive period, and and ended up being the title of the whole record because it kind of just kind of felt like the the feeling of the record, you know, the feeling of the record and feeling of you kind of snapping out of the depression. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it definitely was about that, but it was, it was also kind of like a feeling of getting out of a weird three-year lull, which I never want to have again between records. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was just like, okay, now's that moment. I know I said I'd be a millionaire By the time I turned 28 There was a million ways to get there I took a wrong turn at the gate I got a stomach
Wayne, any particular songs from uh, from the record that you wanted to ask about? And, you know, I, I listened to the Pick It Up, but I got caught in American Love, which I absolutely loved. Um, I probably... I probably listened to that three or four times this week. Um, And I love there's a, cause I had saw something that referenced Elvis Costello, which you can't go wrong being that. And uh, your voice isn't very, isn't, doesn't sound like Elvis Costello, but the band really does have this attractions feel. And some of the Mm -hmm. melodies have a very, uh, a, a very reminiscent, like it had that, that kind of just sounded like it could be, an Elvis Costello song, but I absolutely loved uh, Everybody Wants to Steal Your Heart uh, and Julia and the title track American Love. I just, I fell in love with that record. Oh, cool. Well, thanks. That's, uh, that's nice to know. And, and, and believe me, I used to be an Elvis Costello uh, impersonator, but I've been trying to (laughs) bleed that out of my voice for 10 years. So appreciate it (laughs) for not noticing. (laughs) So, so do you view Elvis as one of your, one of your, uh, your heroes inspirations. Yeah. I, well, I have like a love hate relationship with, with him because, um, not hate, but like love confusion relationship with him because he, he's like a crazy uncle, you know, like incredible songwriter, incredible voice, incredible aesthetic, you know, everything, but he's kind of a dork. Um, and, and like, like in a way that like I slowly stopped relating to, um, over the years and not because I'm not a dork, but be, I don't know. It just, <laughs> I, like everybody needs to worship a dork for a period of their life. And then I think I just kind of like put him on the shelf and I still love him and put him on once in a while. But um, it's kind of like this, the same thing happened with Neil Diamond where I started getting compared to Neil Diamond. And I think I was going through this Neil Diamond phase, even though he's also a dork. <laughs> so, yeah, I seem to worship dorks. Uh, vocally and then realize that I need to just not worship anybody and then walk away from it. But short answer. Yeah. I love Elvis Costello. All right. Well, I I was going to pay. So, so Wayne's already given you the attractions, uh, you know, comparison or compliment. So when I listened to your song made for you, um, when I got the email from your, from your PR person that you chose Joshua tree to talk about, I re-listened to the singles and made for you has a very U2 feel to it. And I say that, I say that in a, in a complimentary way, not that you're trying to rip off U2 or anything, but it's got this, this vibe to it kind of of the Joshua tree, unforgettable fire period. That's cool to hear. I think more than anything, we probably are really all in love with Daniel Lanois. Okay. Yeah. That probably has an impact, right? More than anything. Um, but, but yeah, I'm, that makes sense. I can hear what you're talking about for sure. Yeah. All right. One last question on your record. So, um, hallelujah. What's it to you? I've, I've tried to decipher the lyrics. Tell me what that song is about. (laughs) Well, how much time you got? Uh, (laughs) My, my, okay. Well, my old man's a preacher. So, um, that it definitely probably starts there, but I'm not a religious person, but, um, and he's hardly a religious person, frankly, don't tell him I said that, but, um, (laughs) but you know, like I grew up in the church and, um, kind of probably why I like a lot of songwriters who are just soak their songs in religious allegory. And, um, 
you know, I think, I think that tune is basically just trying to figure out, well, if I'm not going to believe in all this old mythology or all the dogma associated with it, I got to believe in something. Right. And I think it's that it's kind of that I still haven't found what I'm looking for thing. Yeah. Uh, but slightly more optimistic. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So Matthew, tell our listeners what record you chose to revisit for this episode. I foolishly and reg- regrettably chose uh, Joshua Tree by U2. Regrettably, <laughs> the, all right. Explain. Well, I, you know, I don't. It's it's so weird. When when I got the call about this one, it was like immediately. I was just like, well, I'll do Joshua Tree, and the reason is I um, uh, it was the very first CD I ever bought with my own money. I was like 10 years old. I saved up a bunch of money. It was like at a used store. It was like cracked front CD case, you know, Um, the whole like legend of the first record that someone buys. Sure. And uh, I loved it. I fell in love with it. And my uncle was like, well, if you like that, listen to Rattle and Hum. And then so I got the Rattle and Hum CD. And and then I got Boy and I was like this YouTube, you know, fanboy. Um, And and I guess that's why I picked it. and I think that record probably lived with me from like age 10 to, I don't know, 13 is just kind of my, my favorite record ever. And always, whenever I hear it as a grown up, I'm like really in love with it. It just sounds so good to me. And it obviously there's a ton of nostalgia associated with it. Yep. And, and it's clearly, you know, full of just some of the best songwriting and production, um, and performances ever. Um, but you know, as I re-listened, to it, <laughs> as I re-listened to it, I really was sort of like, "Oh my god, uh, there's stuff about this." Like as, as sort of revisiting it, and, and this is crazy because your your podcast is called Records Revisited. Yep, I'm, I'm literally revisiting this thing uh, and realizing that if I pay too much attention to it, especially lyrically. Uh, I get really angry at myself for, for letting this be the basis of everything <laughs> I do musically. Uh, so I don't know. This is going to be really, I'm really excited about this because I f- feel like with your help, I'll be able to, you know, put a stethoscope on, on what the hell I was thinking uh, when I was 10, what the hell I was thinking, choosing it for this. Cause I'm like a lyrics first guy like that. Just okay. so you know, very, everything to me is, is lyric. And, and so uh, revisiting the lyrics for this record, um, I was like, oh God, I'm embarrassed. There were so many other albums I should have chosen maybe before this one. 
so so based off of that comment so what what would be some strong lyrical albums that you would consider i don't know uh, um you could def- i'm a i'm definitely a fan of anything earnest clearly because i chose joshua tree so so or you two in general like i'm i'm really big into just direct um earnest things and so uh i could have gone bruce springsteen you know like I'm a, I've always loved Springsteen and at least he's, no, I'm not going to say at least we're, we're going to get into stuff, but um, <laughs> you know, I think it would have probably represented a larger swath of my musical experience to have delved into Springsteen. Yeah. Um, but I think this is going to be special. I, I haven't delved into Joshua tree or, or my whole YouTube thing and how it formed my childhood. Um, as someone like I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't, listening in the eighties when all this came out, you know, like yeah. this was something that was thrown on me in the nineties. So. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, we're a few years older than you, Matthew. So we, uh, we live this. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and, and just some, some bio info. So this was released in March of 1987. And, um, Wayne, were you with me when I bought this at uh, tower records the first day it was available? Uh, no, I didn't, I was at a different musical place, at a weird musical place. And uh, I, re- I felt like, to me, U2 was, the first time I heard U2 was I Will Follow. I saw the video on Night Tracks, which was like the USA cable, Network. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. no, it was WTBS in Atlanta. So it's like, mm. you could just watch videos for three hours because I didn't have MTV. And I just remember thinking, these are the, this is the coolest band. I mean, there's yeah. this post-punk whole uh, you know, not new wavy, no keyboards in it. And then, and then I, I, the next thing I really saw was under a blood red sky. And he, it's so, it's like clash, like in their, you know, the way they're political, but not necessarily, you know, a punk rock band. And he's in, the, you know, he's all dressed in black and he's waving that big white flag. And, yeah. and so when this came out, it felt like, and especially the videos didn't help. It felt like they, you know, when did U2 become this big giant rock band? Yeah, I get, I get that. Unfor- um, Unforgettable Fire. I think it was right after Unforgettable Fire when they had their moments on the big stages of, was it Live Aid or Us Festival or maybe both of them, where I think they just ramped it up a notch and. I mean, for for me, I became I became a huge U two fan because of the live version of Bad that's on. Um, what's the the EP? Wide Awake in America. That's that's the one. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, it's it that that listening to that version still gives me goosebumps. Yeah, and this is a weird. This is a funny thing. Like that early U two phase. Like base. I guess you could say everything pre Joshua Tree. Um, uh, our bass player Jeffy is like that's his era, you know, and he's just like like a couple years older than me, and like I guess that was his era, and I never I besides like getting into Boy because that was like I will follow is just a jam, like there's no yeah. way of getting around yeah. much of a jam yeah. that. But the moment like you switch to Joshua Tree, there is a divide where it's like like Jeff will be like oh it's a badass record, but like give me Unforgettable Fire, you know, and then I'll be like oh. I totally acknowledge Unforgettable Fire is awesome, but uh, uh, Joshua Tree is a masterpiece and the production is incredible and blah, blah, blah. 
So we have those conversations all the time. It's like a divide between us. Um, and I think that's a divide between a lot of people. It's like everybody's got their favorite era of you too, which is a testament to how incredible this band is. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? Yeah. What's so, so Wayne, your, your favorite era did we already cover the favorite era on a previous episode? Um, I, well, I, you know, when you say favorite era, I think I would say that under the blood red sky era, but my favorite U2 record is Octane baby. Oh man. Left field. And it, yeah. I, had, I had a huge fight with someone about that the other day. Cause they thought that record sucked. And I was like, you're crazy. I that almost great. <laughs> Those are fighting words. Yeah. Seriously. I, I mean, one is one as a song, like as a ballad is in, Best U2 song ever. It is, right? Like, I think I used to think With or Without You was like the best lovey ballad. And then, but then one just sweeps the floor with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, you wouldn't have been able to choose Acting Baby anyways. We've already done that. (laughs) Oh, well, there you go. And we did that big time. Yeah. Two and a half hours with Matt Nathanson. That's our Acting Baby episode. And it was positive by the end of it? Oh, absolutely. We're all fans. Yeah. Three guys who are already in love. Yeah. See, I basically my hope is by the end of this, you guys uh, make me understand myself. <laughs> like this is much bigger than just some goddamn record <laughs> analysis thing. You're helping me understand the roots of my musical experience. Okay. okay. Well, we'll, we'll we will see what we can do. Wayne, yes. Wayne, Wayne's been uh, Wayne has uh, made people cry before with his analysis. So, <laughs> no, no pressure at all, Wayne. No pressure at all. All right. Um, so I, I I wanted to throw a couple more bio things on on this record. So uh, Matthew, you already brought up Daniel Lanois. Um, so him and Brian Eno, of course, produced this, and uh, you know they worked with you two on other records, including Acting Baby, which we just all gushed on. Um, the The band won Grammy Awards for Album of the Year and Best Rock Performance by Duo O Group um, in '88. And, uh, of course you brought up rattle and hum. That is uh, really a chronicle of them touring across the U S, um, in support of this record chart positions. So I wanted to throw this out to you guys. Cause I thought that this was really interesting while I was doing, uh, overall, um, analysis, knowing how big Joshua tree was in 1987 and the fact that it was, you know, a number one record in the UK and number one record in the U S where do you think, what number do you think that it ended up for the final 1987, um, billboard top pop albums of, of that year? Top 10. Sounds like a good question. It is totally a trick question. So it was top 10. It was number six. Um, let me let me read what was ahead of it. And then I want to see what your guys' reactions are. Wow. So, so number five ahead of it, Janet Jackson's Control. I just threw up in my mouth. Does anyone view that as a classic record? Uh, no. Uh, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> number number four, The Way It Is by Bruce Hornsby in the range. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, number three. I have a feeling it's going to get worse. Um, it depends on your perspective. Uh, number three is License to Ill, which um, I know okay. Wayne's, Wayne's, Wayne's okay with that. I, would, I, I get that. I don't, yeah. 
I, I get that it being on there. I still don't know if yeah. it helped. I don't know. I would have thought you two would have been higher. Number two is Graceland by Paul Simon. Mm-hmm. Okay. I get darling. Yeah, I get that. All right. Number one, slippery when wet. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I should have saw that coming. No. Uh, oh, yeah. No. yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was Billboard's top pop album of 1987. I mean, this is like, this is a, this is a very changing of the experience year and time, you know, like a whole bunch of like hip hop was just getting going. And like, so things were breaking apart in a way and there wasn't enough room in the top six to like fully represent. Cause it was leading up to that. It was just kind of like pop was just sort of like stuff with guitars and, and occasionally, like you know, I don't know, soul or whatever. Yeah. Disco, maybe. I don't know. I don't. Even, I don't really even know history that much. But uh, <laughs> well, I'm right up my ass right now. But I'm going to bring up Billboard um, here in another minute, and and uh, I want to see what your guys' reactions are for uh, a particular song. Um, so we always we always talk about the Rolling Stone top 500 records. Where do you think this stacks up in the top 500, Wayne? Um. 132. How about you, Matthew? Where do you think Rolling Stone would have ranked this? Like all time? All time. Oh, um, probably like not even close. Probably like 300. 27th. Oh, well, I thought oh, that nice. was a trick. Ask, that- ask me again. <laughs> 27th. So just ahead of who's next and just ahead of that, or, uh, um, after who's next was Led Zeppelin. When uh, was the ranking? This was 2012. The last time they, yeah, I think well, it they aged did well. it twice, and this was the second time. Yeah, yeah. it aged well. Just just ahead of Joshua Tree, the tree is uh, is Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, Intervisions sure. by Stevie Wonder, and then yeah. Live at the Apollo 1962, James Brown. Sure. Nice. Yeah. Can't so, argue with that. Yeah. So there you go. I'm glad it, I'm glad they came back around. Right. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, so let's go track by track. As a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? 11. Which means our top song is going to get 11 points. Next favorite, 10 points on down to lowest score of one. Let's kick this off. Where the streets have no name. And this is third single off the record. Um, guys realize that it takes nearly one minute and 46 seconds before Bono finally sings on this song, which takes all the balls in the world. Doesn't it it, though? Yeah. And you can't do that anymore. No, we get, we get notes back from like playlister types or whatever on streaming services where it's like, we really wanted to add this, but your intro was 17 seconds. So it's just not possible. (laughs) What? Yeah, man. You want to talk about like being pressured into writing songs for outcomes and shit. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. But right. yeah, this is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Billboard uh, positions, Billboard Hot 100, this peaked at number 13 on the UK singles chart, peaked at number four. Wayne, get get us started on this song. Well, and like I said about the big rock thing, I didn't, and this video is right up there with, I mean, along with rattling hum in general as a way of saying, 
just feeling like bloated, which like I say, I'm a huge Guns N' Roses fan, but I expected Guns N' Roses to become a big bloated rock and roll behemoth. I never expected it from U2. And so it took me, and plus this song was played all the time on every station, whether it was, I don't even know if there was alternative stations necessarily then, but hard rock, pop, everybody was playing this. It was everywhere. And I had a... Were they playing it with the long intro? Oh, on I, I, on the radio, probably not. I, there is not a single. That, it was a long. Yeah, there is a yeah. singles version that they did play on the on the the on the radio. I don't remember what the intro looks like for that, but it's definitely not one minute forty six. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but they it just was everywhere, and so I already had you know I felt like oh, I felt like I've been duped a little, uh, uh, and so I was against it in general. I think I I just. I just was against it in general, but over time it's, it's, it is such a great song. And it's even with that little bit of context about, um, you know, what inspired it, it even becomes an even greater song. The idea of, and like I say, it's not in Belfast. Um, you can tell what religion and what economic status people, that's really not just Belfast though. There's not, I don't know that there is a country where, you know, and I don't mean to use MLK, but in general, they put MLK in a not very good neighborhood. So you always know based on that. So the idea that of a world where the streets have no name, uh, it, once you put that context into it, I think the song even raises up higher. Hmm. Like it. Yeah. Matthew, what do you got on this song? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I, I um, it being about, um, kind of like people's identities, especially, you know, like, like this is sort of where, what I was coming to earlier, which was if you really read the lyrics, like I'm sure I did when I was 10, um, you know, back then I probably didn't really, I wasn't a judgy guy. Uh, <laughs> but now if you really parse the lyrics, they're incredibly cliched and generic. Um, but when you step back, like what Wayne's talking about, and you just let them happen to you in the context of the music and everything, that's why U2 works. Like that's, that's why this is actually like a really special record is like Bono right off the bat is just like having sex with himself, which is like, there's like two versions of Bono where he's like having sex with himself and it's amazing. And then there's a version of it that's not so amazing. And this is like, this tune is just like, he comes in and he's like, right, right off the bat after a huge long intro and it, you just feel it. So you don't worry too much about the imagery or anything, the specific imagery. Um, and I think like right off the bat, that's why it works is there's like these earnest lyrics, but it's about something so heavy and important that you just feel the weight of it and you don't worry yourself with any attempts at poetry or anything. Right. Uh, so I don't know, but also just like, I don't know if it's a stadium Wayne, like, like that intro to me, and the way that like, like the, people say edge is just like a one trick pony or whatever with his delay pedal. Um, and I like, m maybe that's true, but like, this is like peak peak trick. Um, and it sounds more like some kind of art rock thing to me, like how that thing weaves together for a minute and a half and you don't feel like it's long. Like I don't get bored. I want to hear that thing grow. Um, so yeah, I don't, is this when you said streets have no name, is that like, because it's the first, it was ranked the highest between the three of us. Um, no. Oh, we're just going in the order of the record. Yep. Going in track yep. by track. Yep. Okay. Well, either way, I think it should be. Really high. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get some scores. Wayne, Wayne, what do you got? 
I gave it a nine, and I do. I want to say there's in with the edge is the one of those guys who has a you you recognize because of that delay pedal that this is uh, this is the edge playing, and it's a U two song. And what's funny is I I feel sometimes I get start feeling like that, like oh you know it it's the edge and that that delay pedal again, and then but when it's gone, you miss it yeah. like right away. You're mm-hmm. like the song is great. But is the Edge playing guitar on this? Who who's playing guitar on this? It's a limb. It's like one of his limbs. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, Wayne, your score? It's a nine. Nine. And then Matt? I nined it as well. Okay. And this is my seven. Um, slipped down a little bit just because of lyrics, but um, yes. yeah. All right. Next song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Mm. And this was the second single off the record, and it was a number one song on the Billboard Hot 100. Matthew, to your point of earlier, where you said you know you felt like some of the some of the lyrics are a little cliched. Yeah, I think the song definitely would fit into that category with some of the the cliched lyrics, but it just works. Yeah, I. I don't think people should be looking to Bono to be their Leonard Cohen. I think that's the mistake that I would make. You know, it's like we got Leonard Cohen for that. And uh, he does this thing that is very like he brings all the politics in, which I'm a very hungry person for in music. And he brings religion in in this way that is clearly more social than like religious um, in all of his imagery, like almost every song on this record, I feel like has some kind of religious reference. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and that's super powerful when, you know, when, when done right. And I think for the most part, it's done pretty well, you know, it's like, and it's the earnestness again, like I'm just a sucker for it. It, 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 like, like he's, he's like climbing high mountains and he's running through fields, you know, it's like, it's like really, direct imagery if it's imagery at all he probably actually was doing those things when he wrote this um and it's just really shiny and beautiful and like even if honestly even if it was about herding goats it would be scored like at the top for me it sounds so (laughs) yeah wayne what do you got on uh on this song and i like um what if i have a little bit of a criticism it's sometimes the songs musically kind of have a very similar this one the first three songs out of the gate and i i do want to say that i think what makes this a great album is the songs besides the big hits the the three songs that everybody knows i think those other songs and how good they are is why this is you know number 27 on the rolling stone you know 500 mm-hmm. um but and i like the gospel they were going for gospel musically in it and i think they they I don't know if they get all the way there, but I they get enough there. And I do, but, and the lyrics aren't any, I guess they're not political. It feels like he's taking this relationship and kind of putting the, his, his love into the, you know, with the, the religious imagery, imagery, giving it that very savior Messiah feel. Um, but I just heard it so many times. Okay. Mm. Okay. Mm. That's probably what works, but yeah like the repetition is like on point. Like it's, there's so much repetition, but it, it's a good line, man. Can't, that's a, that's a damn good line. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. Um, Wayne, your score on this. A six. I know. I know. Wow. Matthew, your score. 
11 is my top song. All right. And this is my 10. There you go. And uh, next song, With or Without You. If you had to remember you 2 for only one song, would this be it? Uh, for me, it's one. Okay. No. How about you? For how about for no, you? No, I don't think so. Um, but no, I don't. I don't know what it would be though. But I don't think it's this one. But that that said, I love it so much. Yeah. So this was first single off the record. The song spent three weeks on top of the charts on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Um, here, here's where I'm going to piss you guys off. Uh-oh. All right, you ready? <laughs> All right, because uh, I I pissed myself off just reading reading up on the research. <laughs> Any guesses on what song knocked this out of the number one spot? Uh, no guess. I'll just put it this way: not not an iconic song like this one. <laughs> Kim Wilde's "You Keep Me Hanging On." <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, yeah. but it was number one. It was number one. Yes. It was number one for three weeks. You know, anything can happen up there in the deep, dark wilderness. Yeah. Of that exactly. All right. Sounds- how about, how, how about for, so this ended up at number 15 for the year. Huh. So you want to hear some of the iconic songs that, uh, that, that are above it. <laughs> Clearly talking- you give love a bad name is going to be up there. Uh, uh, what was a No, living live? Living living on a prayer is number ten. Living on a prayer is number ten. So the number one song for eighty seven is "Walk Like an Egyptian." Okay. Number two is "Hearts Alone." Here we go. This is where I'm probably going to give you guys a heart attack. The third most popular song in nineteen eighty seven, according to Billboard. Matthew, you probably don't even know this song. Good. Gregory Abbott's "Shake You Down." No, I don't know that song. <laughs> Wayne, Wayne, do you remember that song? Uh, you know what? I do not. I was listening to Bon Jovi and U two. I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that that was one that I just was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" And then Robbie Neville's "Say La Vie" was number six. <laughs> the common denominator here is that Billboard is bullshit. Bull. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much, pretty much. All right. Um, so, do you guys do you guys know kind of the background of of that really iconic sound that they've got for this song? Some prototype guitar or something, right? Yeah. So the Edge was looking for some more ambient type of guitar sound, and so he added some kind of of. I'm trying to remember it. Is it, is it called the infinite guitar, infinite guitar? <laughs> um, and it Canadian musician, Michael Brook is, is who uh, gets, gets the credit for that. Um, the, it said that the instrument, and this is coming from Wikipedia. So the instrument allowed sustained notes to be played, producing a similar effect to the Ebo, but with the ability to provide all the midpoints between no sustain and infinite sustain that the Ebo can't provide. The prototype include, included elaborate assembly instructions, and, it, and as Edge recollects, one wrongly placed wire and you could get a nasty bolt of electricity. 
This piece of gear would have failed even the most basic of safety regulations, and his guitar tech occasionally received electronic shocks from the instrument when he was performing it, prepare, preparing it for performances. Wow! So, well, so anyways, that's that is totally rock. Oh, well, it was worth it because you can hear it. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's it's great. It is so good. This is this is definitely my top song on this record. Um, oh no, Wayne! I would say yeah, one is probably my my favorite U two song of all time, outside of maybe Bad. So this would definitely be in my top five. But it's just so iconic. Even though I have heard this song, I wonder how many how many hundreds of times I've heard this song. Every time I hear this song. This is a song that I'm going to stop and listen to. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. And part of it is that riff for sure. Um, you know, that just holds you there the whole time, I guess. But it's, this is like what I'm realizing the, the last, all the last three songs, which are obviously the big hits on the record. Yeah. Every single line in the chorus is the thesis statement. And the thesis statement is so frigging clear. It's just, Right. You know, and they're really well articulated ideas, you know, like um, with or without you, I can't live with or without you. OK, everyone's on board for that. I still haven't found what I'm looking for yet. No one has, you know, I mean, where the streets have no name is, I guess, kind of like a little arty, but they're great lines. Like it doesn't matter what the verses are. That's yep. the thing with you, too. It doesn't matter what the verses are. Writes great choruses. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. For me, it's. I mean, the tension that they create with the bass uh, is palpable. Like it, it just, you, it, it's like, it makes the air on your arm stand up. Yeah. And then what I, I love, I was, I had, had read about, you know, his inspiration for this and this, this contradiction or conflict between being a rock star and being a family man. And I love how he took that a subject that not many people, I mean, Matthew can, but don't understand and he turned it into something more relatable. Mm. Um, I think, you know, that that is part of the genius of the song. And also some of these phrases, are they're very common phrases, but they never, they don't sound cliche to me. I mean, you know, the sleight of hand and twist of fate, you know, the, all of those very common phrases, but he, he, he just pulls it off. Yeah. Because he's Bono. Yeah, well. He was okay. Bono. He was Bono. <laughs> all right um i already said this is my top song uh wayne what do you got this is my top song wow i just yeah. gave it a, i just gave it a 10 because i wanted to be cool <laughs> strange you know but well, i, I can't. couldn't argue with either of you yeah all right uh next song bullet the blue sky oh and and Wayne, you you mentioned Adam Clayton with the bass line on with or without you. My MVP for this song, even though I know it's got some cool guitar, my MVP is going with I'm going with Adam Clayton on this one. The bass line is really cool to me on this song. And I, to me, the drums were the were, that came out early in it, and um, I just felt like everybody was getting everybody's gotten a chance to shine instrumentally. I love this song. Um, cause this is, this sounds to me like something that the guys who wrote Sunday, bloody Sunday would write. Um, and it's, it's just drenched in this commentary, um, that 
that brings up and it's darker and heavier. And I, and so it kind of, it got away from those, the, the similar sound of those first three songs. Cause it's political. It's going back to the political agendas. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and this was written after Bono and his wife had traveled to El Salvador. Um, I don't know why they would have gone to El Salvador. Um, didn't say that, but after he got back, Bono basically instructed Edge to put El Salvador through an amplifier. And this is the result. <laughs> wow. So I think he got I think he got it. I think Edge nailed it. And I think the whole band is just amazing on this song. And uh like the guitar work is super innovative, like the way he's using a slide and everything. Um but I die, I'm going to uh, pee on the parade mildly. <laughs> put it out there that this is a really important topic to be writing a song about. And, uh, and you know, like this is one of those, <laughs> it's one of those songs where Bono uh, having sex with himself in a bad way, I think. Uh, it's like so, like he's like a cartoon character to the point where I think he's just overdramatic. I just don't believe it. Like, I don't, I'm not into it. Like, I can't get past it. Like, I love it. I listen to it every time. I never would skip it. But like, we're trying to choose, like, we're trying to score songs here. Yeah. He, he ruins it. He ruins the song where it's otherwise it's like this huge, aggressive. Yeah, definitely Wayne, like, like throwing back to like where they built their bands could have been like holding on to that, I think. And he just kind of, and Bono just kind of like hoops on it i i felt like and like i say i'm and i'm when you talk about that I, i'm thinking of that spoken word part yeah with the, with the slapping them down i actually thought that he i mean i looked at that as just like you're saying like over the top i mean because that's america like yeah because you know, these some of these visions of the fighter planes and it, it reminded me like of of vietnam and you're seeing you know these people in these poor villages and all of a sudden the might of the most powerful nation in the world is flying over their head and there's almost money. There's almost money involved every time. Like there's horrible dictators like in South America at the time, um, and and Africa. And the might of the the U.S. military rarely has ever gone there to do anything uh, like they've done in in Iraq and Afghanistan and like I say Vietnam when we were scared of communists. So I thought he was going over the top. Like I saw a big giant foam cowboy hat on his head. I thought he was literally going over the top on purpose. I mean, maybe that is maybe you're right, right? Like, like, and that slapping them down lyric is still a running gag with me and my friends. Like, we say slapping them down like all the time in reference to anything. So, I mean, it's clearly part of our like culture. Um, so they did something right with the song. It's yeah, I'm not trying to knock anything, but and some of the lyrics are. What's that one about the rose on a thorn bush or whatever? His like, face red like a rose on a thorn bush. And then the one after the it, colors it have a like all the colors. Yeah, that's not a good lyric. <laughs> In my opinion, of course. But, so, yeah. so I got a sequencing question for you guys. Cause I, I've always, as much as I love this record and I love all the songs on the record, except for, we'll, we'll talk about the one I don't really love. Um, 
Do you feel like the transition from with or without you to bullet the blue sky? Is that, is that a good transition? Do, are we okay with the sequencing or are we just kind of used to it? Because I needed been... it. like the first three songs I think have a very sonically similar okay. feel. And so I, I think the reason that I scored this so high and the reason that I like it is because it, it, it changed all that abruptly and gave me something that I was, was longing for. You were looking for a palate cleanser. I was looking, I was looking for him to get nasty and talk bad about somebody. Did you find what you were looking for? <laughs> yeah. In this case, I did. I found what okay. I was looking for. Okay. All right. Uh, let's get some scores on Bullet the Blue Sky. Wayne? 10. And then Matthew? It's a four for me, fellas. All right. And this is my eight. All right. Next song, Running to Stand Still. Wayne, when I saw your your score, I was like, oh, you're going first. Um, <laughs> That's so why 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 is this not one of your more favorite well, songs I, on this record? You know what? Junkies aren't very sympathetic characters to begin with. And I just um they starts with this great these great bluesy acoustic guitar notes, and then there's even and then at the end he'll throw in some harmonica and the notes again, but nothing in the middle references that. It's done in a in a I don't know, I guess it feels too sad, like it should be, they're junkies. It should be darker. Um, I do, I just, in fact, the music from the next song, if that was played, if I think if, if something more like that was here, a little more, I guess, emotion, um, maybe I, I feel like it would have worked better for me, but it just didn't, I don't know. It was just a sad song about Belfast junkies or Dublin junkies. And I didn't, it didn't feel, I didn't connect to it. It didn't feel like he connected to it. Okay, Matthew, what do you got on this song? I'm I'm gonna. I, I really think um, most songs about heroin are great songs. Um, as someone who's never done heroin, I'm sure that if I've done heroin, I might feel different, um, <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. But <laughs> but I, I really like. I think this is first of all. I, I'm surprised at your score, Wayne, because I, I feel like this is the most octane baby song on the whole record. Like. It's it's like feels like they were just sort of like developing a few things that they'd use on Octoon Baby, musically at least. But I think some of the best lyrics are on this record or on this song by far. Yeah. Um, you know, that that whole section about gotta cry without weeping, talk without speaking, uh scream yeah, without I, just, I really like the the white what is it, white gold and pearls stolen from the sea, which is clearly those little bags of heroin, which I was like, that's that's yeah. fucking genius. Like I yeah. do agree that there's some great lines in here. The, the hey la la de la day or that wasn't a, a high point of it for me. But See, I'm, I'm a sucker for inventive ways to do gibberish sing-alongs. <laughs> and that's such an awkward baby thing to do. You know, like there's a few of those in, in there too. Yeah. I had I, I had to look up the lyrics for because I'd always wondered what the hell he was talking about with I see seven towers but I only see one way out. So it was a reference to the Ballymun Flats, which is a group of seven high-rise residential tower blocks that were built in the 1960s that by the 80s had kind of deteriorated to the point where they were essentially used by all the junkies. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
So yeah, I think so, that's one of those special Bono lyrics that's like um, exclusive, super exclusive, but still ends up meaning something. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm like a big fan of this tune. I also, I think it's weird when Bono actually just goes straight into storytelling because he's usually so anthemic. And um, I think it's pretty cool that when it, whenever he does a storytelling song and it's a good tune, it really is kind of ends up being my favorite song on any record. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Matthew, your score on this one? I gave it a big fat eight. All right. This is my nine. And then Wayne, get ready for the vitriol. <laughs> I gave it a two. Uh, it was hard. Like I say, it's not, and don't, by no stretch of the imagination, do I mean it's a bad song? I just mean that, I mean, these are the songs that make this a great album and not, I just thought he could have, I just thought he could have done it better. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, going back to what I was talking about with the sequencing, you you okay with the sequencing from Bullet to Blue Sky to Running to Sandstill? Up up to this point, I think they nailed the sequencing. Okay, all of the problems begin now. <laughs> and and so we'll 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 get there. Let let me flip the record over, and we'll we'll talk about Red Hill Mining Town, and then we'll talk about what a difficult problem I think that Daniel Lanois um, and Brian Eno had for producing this. So, so Matthew, you may not be as familiar with the B sides as, as Wayne and I might be, but there are, there are three, there are three songs that did not make this record that I think are just fantastic songs. Yeah, Cause this was supposed to be like a double album, right? Like that was the original idea. I think that was the original idea, and then they 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 scrapped it. So, Spanish Eyes is a fantastic song. A great song, yeah. I know. Sil- Silver and Gold is a fantastic song, which would have I think would have fit well on this record. Is that on Rattle and Hum? Silver and Gold? Did they play that? It is on Rattle and Hum, and then Sweetest Thing, which, <laughs> like I I was kind of doing my own mock up. Uh, a sequence of what I think the best record, best Joshua tree record would have looked like. And even though I love sweetest thing, it just wouldn't fit too. It's it is. And it just doesn't fit with any of these other songs. Like as much as I love that song, it just, it wouldn't, it never could have been on a Joshua tree record. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah completely but 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 i would have here's what i would have done i would have put exit after bullet the blue sky okay wow. well I mean, do we have to here's like <laughs> the albums have to have be 11 tracks in 1987 because like no it didn't have to be here at all yes that and i would i would argue that uh, the one that i don't like uh on this record um shouldn't have made it on but yeah. It's not Red Hill Mining Town. Let's keep talking. Okay. All right. Red Hill Mining Town. <laughs> so um, this song was initially going to be the second single off the record after With or Without You. Nuts. Isn't that just crazy? Like would would have releasing, like I love this song, yeah. but would have released, releasing this as the second single, would that have essentially killed the record? Because I think that it would have. No, I know. I don't yeah, think I don't so. killed because the first one was uh, was the first one still haven't found with or without you with or was without the first you. single. Yeah, no, well, you can't kill an album 
after that. Like they'll give your third single a try. Okay. I think so. Third single may have been still haven't found what I'm looking for. And maybe that would have. Okay. Yeah. And I honestly don't think that having uh, where the streets have no name being a single, I don't think it needed to be a single. Like I think they were, they already secured their place or whatever as this record being super important. But I can't, this song is like really amazing. And I clearly scored it way too low. I don't even know why I'm looking at my scorecard. I'm like, (laughs) whoopsie daisy. Uh, But it's not a second single. No, um, that this was interesting to me. So for 30 years, this was known as the only song from Joshua tree that was not performed live. Now they changed that in 2017. So this is the, the one and only time that I've seen you two was on the Joshua tree tour, the, the 30th anniversary that they did where they played the album in its entirety. And so of course they played this live every night for that. And and I guess the reason why was Bono couldn't reach some of those high notes. And I will tell you that uh, he didn't reach those high notes when I saw him live. They definitely modified it, which it was fine. Um, yeah. But yeah. Anyways, uh, Wayne, what do you got on Red Hill Mining Town? Like I say, going along with this this album and this kind of this loose concept about the myth mythical America. And even though the previous song and this song are specifically about Irish and English locations um this these both these problems you know this mining town you know the mine the mine or the manufacturing town uh company leaves and creates this this poverty and and which almost always leads to rampant addiction so i mean and you just ask anybody from pennsylvania kentucky or west virginia this they really do tie in together and go along with that that theme of this mythical America. That's not what it, you know, seems like. Um, but, and I guess that there's part of me that because it's, it's kind of, it kind of has a, a folk, I guess, idea that if they would have, I would have liked to have not, I don't want them to get campy or cheesy and start playing a fiddle or anything. But I mean, if there would have been some, maybe a something, some sort of folk percussion instrument or something to give it just a little, little more texture. Okay. You know, the, your, what you just said is why I made a mistake scoring this lower is, is like, this is like the Springsteen song on this album. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like one of those songs where it's about, you know, job loss, but it's not about the losing the job. It's about what it does to your family, um, which is such a universally vital kind of song to write in any time period. So, and he nails it really. The only reason I, I think I scored it low is because, um, the verses kind of don't do much for me. Like it, you kind of lose me, but then it's like one of those huge U2 choruses again. Um, so I think I screwed up. The chorus is amazing. That, that like shifts in momentum and, and it feels so kind of preacher on a pulpit again. You know, I screwed up. I really screwed well, up. Well, if you're feeling bad about your score, then I'm, I'm really a butthole. Um, <laughs> all right. So Matthew, your score. Yeah, it's a five. All right. And then Wayne? A seven. All right. And this is my three. But it's not to mean that I don't love this song because I do love this song. Um, all right. Next song, In God's Country. And Matthew, you like this song a little more than Wayne and I do. What's, uh, what do you love about the fourth single off of the Joshua Tree? 
This was the fourth single. See, that's crazy. It was. Yeah. It it didn't really do much. It uh, peak position was number forty four on the Billboard Hot one hundred. So didn't didn't do a whole lot. Yeah, I think basically my mistake was I could have swapped Red Hill Mine and Ending God's Country in the scoring, but it doesn't really matter. It's this is like a better version of Red Hill Mining Town overall. Mm-hmm. And, and Red Hill Mining Town has like higher moments. I think like the chorus is a better chorus technically. Um, but I, I love these. Like I, I, this is that song where the chorus goes minor, I think. And yeah, yeah. So it goes minor yeah. first and then the second chorus it's major, which is a trick I've stolen several times that I love. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just feels like there's something happening in this song. Like, it's there was i think there was a tension in this song too that i read about once where it was like the edge or no bono uh bono like really razzed the edge because the hook sucks so bad like (laughs) bono was like i'm like all my stuff is awesome my lyrics are on point my voice is golden but your hook sucks man and and i guess he's right kind of but so there was like this band tension in the song which i kind of always like hearing okay um, yeah, but it is kind of it's in the middle somewhere, the gooey middle. Yeah, um, and definitely a few religious imageries with the crooked crosses, and then he also s- talks about uh, I stand oh, with the sons of Cain. Yeah, sons yeah. of Cain. But the the sad eyes crooked crosses line is that is one of the best lines of the record. Yeah, sad eyes, crooked crosses. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. Wayne, you got anything to add? Yeah, and I, I like the analogy. This, I, you know, it brings it brings to mind the Statue of Liberty in this, and but in a kind of a more raggedy, you know, torn dress, sad eyes feel. But that whole uh, drawing, you know, a siren on a big rock called Alice Island, you know, beckoning to everybody to come. When what you know what you're going to get here isn't quite quite what it might look like on the outside. It's funny too, Wayne, because the Statue of Liberty's eyes do look kind of bummed out. <laughs> a little bit. Like I'm picturing her now. I'm like sad eyes. It's because she's French. Sorry. All right. Wayne, your score? A four. All right. Matthew? I gave it a seven. I don't know what, what I was feeling that day, but I gave it a seven. All right. And this is my four. And the next song is Trip Through Your Wires. And this is my least this is my least favorite song. I'm just <laughs> on that. Uh this is the one song that uh I usually skip when I'm listening to it on my CD. Um here's what I thought was interesting. Um according to the edge, the song was meant to be heard in context of another song that never made it on the album, the sweetest thing. So I I listen to the two songs side by side and I still don't no, I don't get it. That's not real. <laughs> yeah. So I think somebody is is messing with me on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um yeah, that the song just doesn't do much. The the harmonica thing doesn't do much. Um I don't know what Bono is he's trying to copy somebody else's like a little bit of a country western vibe to it a little bit i i don't know it just doesn't do much for the for me um wayne does this song do anything for you no and i i think it's the light 
the lyrics are light. I did like, you know, because I uh, I've said uh, some of them have a sonically similar sound. This one, he, they they go with this more of this acoustic blues, you know, almost folk type thing. But yeah. yet it does. I agree. It doesn't. I think it's the lyrics that that don't stand out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know what I think is I think this this is like a version of the them trying to soak up or soak in America, not just the mythology, but the music of it on the record that doesn't work. But right. I'm, I'm a sucker for that stuff. Like British people are, and Irish people like trying to, to be a part of it musically, like the, the Rolling Stones wouldn't exist, you know, if that wasn't a thing, but yeah, yeah. it doesn't work on this. This would be like a two, <laughs> this would probably be a two for me, except I added a point because that karate chop Haya thing that Bono does <laughs> like the most magical thing I've ever heard a human being do twice in one song. Like he thought it was so good. He did it again, you know, and right. Something to that. Yeah. Okay. Now you're making me feel bad that this is my lowest. Um, all right, Wayne, your score three and then Matthew three, two. All right. I, I wondered now that I'm, I'm, thinking of it in the context of you know rattle and hum if they would have put horns in like they did for angel of harlem or if they would have done anything like with bb king and turned this into a blues song would it have made the song better yeah it sounds like rattle and hum to me it belonged there probably and like right before angel of harlem yeah you know with the same arrangement totally agree all right Next song is One Tree Hill. And uh, I feel like you have to kind of give a little context for what One Tree Hill is before we we dive into it. So uh, the track was written in memory of Greg Carroll, who was from New Zealand. The band had met him there during the Unforgettable Fire Tour. Uh, He became a roadie for the band and... He died in a motorcycle accident in Dublin in July 86. And the song was written in his memory. So One Tree Hill is, uh, there is, there is a One Tree Hill in New Zealand. And so, um, so when I look at uh, chart position, so this was, this was a number one song in New Zealand because of that. Yeah. Um, the, the vocals, it says, were recorded in a single take because Bono didn't think that he could do it a second time. So if you feel any emotion or pain to it like you hear, you know, on a song like Bad, um, that would be that would be why. So musically, I don't think that this is that strong of a song, but it's Bono's performance that I, I, I just love. I don't, and I, but I, I disagree a little bit because I think they, they give it this, this, uh, tribal, you know, kind of beat or feel and, but they don't use like, like specifically any, any kind of ethnic tribal instruments. They use their own instruments, but they're able to give it that, that kind of a rhythm. Plus they, I don't know where they found these guys with, with those odd wind instruments that they use. Um, is that a pan flute at the beginning? Or is it the edge imitating a pan flute with a guitar? I've never. I, 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 all Good of it. I, I thought I heard. Yeah, I thought I heard just them, you know, imitating much more, you know, tribal type sounds with their instruments. But I know there's 
and I can't even remember the name of it, but there was some bizarre wind instruments that they recorded, the, the artist recorded separately and through you know, like the edge was trying to explain to him on a phone kind of a thing. There was a whole story about it. Um, but I thought that worked great. I originally, originally, I guess I had an issue with the, the lyrics cause it switches from his friend to the, uh, was he a Chilean or Argentinian? Oh, uh, Jara. Uh, uh, Victor Jara. Yeah. Victor Jara. Yeah. And, and I guess I, I didn't like, cause the first verse is a genuine tribute to a good friend and it's done very well. And then the, not that the second verse isn't done well, but it was about, a. I guess I expected the whole song to be about Greg Carroll. And then when I listened to the third verse and like listening to it over, you know, three or four or five times this week and reading the lyrics, then it all fell together. Like it's this whole story. Yeah. Not at least everybody dies. Your good friends die. Revolutionaries die. Right. I, and the lines that, that stuck out were the, in the first time he does it, it's you you run like uh, the river to, runs to the sea. And then when he does it the second time, it's we. It's, and it, it reminded me of uh, Find the River by when we did uh, Automatic for the People. It's that analogy of the river running to the sea and that river is your life. And we're all going, we're all on that same, we're all on our own rivers headed towards the sea. And so then it all, I don't know, it just lifted it up for me and, I, I got a better appreciation for it this week. Okay. Mm-hmm. Love it. Matthew, anything to add before we grab some scores? Yeah, this one was, I screwed up on this one too. Um, <laughs> if only, no, I think it's, it's so confusing, this, the, the, the sort of middle section of the record. But this song, I think the reason I I didn't give it like a much higher score is you know the sto- the storytelling part and the and the and the super personal stuff is super key in the verses and I love it. Um, it feels good musically. You know everything's right. The chorus, like I'm a sucker for a transcendent chorus, uplifting chorus, and I love all the straight up generic. You know, like we run like the river, run to the sea. That's a you know that's a David Byrne lyric. That's you know that's been done a million times, but it's so transcendent and beautiful and relatable and it is so true you know we're all connected i feel it bono i feel it and then he like does the thing which is weird he's like i think he's i think he does it in all the courses he switches to the raining thing like when it's raining it's raining hard you know and you think oh god he's gonna add this third dimension to the river thing he's gonna be like when it rains down in the river and then that rainwater flows out to the sea as well Oh yeah, I'm ready for this. He's setting it up. And then the last line is like, that's like when the rain breaks my heart. <laughs> you're like, you're like what? wait a second. What? No, tell me the truth. Like, I want to know the truth. I wanted to learn from Bono. I wanted to have my eyes open. And he's like talking about this incredible idea of this third dimension of water coming to the river. And, and then he says the rain breaks his heart. And it's just like, you didn't, what? No, what? No. There's no punchline. <laughs> I wanted to be taught. I thought this was going to be like a Bob Dylan moment, and you know, it wasn't. So yeah. that's why I was, you know, I didn't. That's why I scored it lower. There's plenty of Bob Dylan songs that afterwards I go, "You didn't teach me anything, Bob." <laughs> so I get, I get it. Wayne, your your score eight, and then Matthew six, but I'm kind of with Wayne. Yeah, and this is this is my five. 
And I'll tell you why it's not my six in just a minute. All right, next song, Exit. <laughs> and um, if this was the remastered Exit, where that first opening part, so that I think they realize that the production of this um, is lacking because they, for the remastered, the the really quiet parts at the beginning of the song are are definitely amplified. Mm. Um, and I will tell you that, uh, watching this live in person was magical, at least for me. Um, my wife went and got a Pepsi during this song. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. She did not. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, um, Larry Mullen Jr. is the, is the MVP for this song for me. Yeah. I I totally agree with you on the production side because I, even in my notes, it's, I absolutely love like like a big section of this song, but the beginning is not part of that. And the ending is not part of that. Um, and dark and heavy, clearly that's my thing. Um, but I, I just, I like, like I say, Larry Mullen. Awesome. I believe they try to, they create that tension with the bass again, getting it up, up in the mix to give that, you know, that real, pounding and then those cymbal crashes that's almost to me where it ends those cymbal crashes at the end just it just all this it just sounds so chaotic and for them to go on another 30 seconds without them i thought was a bad idea too i mean they just feel like there's that those crazy cymbal crashes should have just been the end okay yeah that's good all right um matthew this is not one of your favorite songs (laughs) i don't know it's like it's like bullet the blue sky, but without any slapping them downs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like a big, uh, like I like the cacophony thing and I, and how like that, that whole section where he's all like healing, healing, and he, it's starting to ramp up and it it builds and then it dies and Bono's crying in the bathroom or whatever. It, like it's good. It it doesn't feel like a formed idea to me. It it. Okay. Um, if this was at the end of the record, I would have felt a lot more comfortable with it. Why they had to put another song after it? Because then it was it would sort of be like this sort of, you know, epilogue of things, and, and I'd be able to process it as an ending and kind of a crashing out the door, falling down the stairs kind of thing. But I didn't. In the context of of going into another song, um, it just sounds like a bunch of nothing. Okay. <laughs> Is that harsh? Okay. Right? Yeah. I definitely right. get the the fully the not fully formed idea. I mean, yeah. I I because I agree with you that part where it builds up. I mean, this it starts with he went deeper into the in into black and the, where it ends with oh my love. Like that section gets more intense as as it, it seems to go along, and yeah, and then they, you know, where was like they, they and I could definitely see this as the end. That would have yeah. I, I did not connect to the next song, and I feel horrible about it but i think you're right i would have ended it here i think mr yeah. lenoir was out getting a cheeseburger for this <laughs> left brian but, eno at the controls yeah, yeah. it does have an eno feel to it doesn't it yeah. yeah all right uh this is my six wayne a five and then matthew i won it but they're all the, they're all the same at this point okay and then uh we're wrapping this up with mothers of the disappeared and um I kind of feel the same way that you guys do when I'm looking at your scores. Cause I don't have any notes on this. Wayne, what do you got? 
I feel horrible about my score because the subject is so heartbreaking. I mean, yeah. mothers having their children stolen in the in the dead of night and not ever knowing what happens to them is just soul crushing. Um, but I just never connected to it. And this is the song where I don't hear that delay. And I, I so I noticed like, where is the edge? Where, where, where is, where is something to hold on to? Because this isn't, I'm not getting anything from this, but like I say, I, I feel like a soulless person because the subject is so heart wrenching. When I listen to this song, I feel like it's a Brian song, but I, maybe I'm completely wrong. Yeah, that and I, think sense. I could I could I could probably see myself saying that, but it might just be because I maybe more resonate with Lanois than Eno. Not that I don't love Eno, but yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it 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 doesn't sound like either of them were really paying much attention to this one, <laughs> <laughs> right? But 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 do you still do you still keep this on the record? If we were to resequence, do you still keep this on the record? Uh, instead of replacing it with a silver and gold or Spanish eyes. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. But, but also I think this is just part of that like eighties thing where like even executives, but also producers were like, it doesn't matter what this, the second side is like, you know, these are all gold bangers on the front end of it. And, yeah. and, you know, let's just have fun on the other side. Everyone's going to be drunk or screwing each other on the other, by the end of this album, you know, so like, <laughs> No one's paying attention for mothers of the disappeared. There, there you go. And it does seem like a personal thing to Bono. Like he, I'm reading that he had, you know, heard about these, and and because uh, there's like two different groups from two different countries, and so it's it seemed yeah. like kind of a, a passion of his, I guess, right. to put it on here. Yeah, right. that's his uh, PSA or whatever. Sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is my two, Matthew. I toot it as well. All right. And then Wayne? Uh, got the one. Ooh. Okay. All right. Um, so uh, usually I say, did we cover everything? Did we miss every th- miss anything? And um, I could have totally dove further into some of the backstories of some of these, but I feel like there's been a lot of other podcasts that have already talked about this at great length. So um, <laughs> I think this one even. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. You guys already do this? So I didn't. Oh. So, so, so uh, this was episode number five when it was me and one of my friends. Um, he was drunk when we <laughs> recorded it. Um, in fact, uh, for the longest time, we used to call, if you screwed up on your scores because you couldn't remember what your score was, we called it pulling a netta. <laughs> because that's his last name. And um, honestly, when I was running out of space on our podcast server, uh, this was one of the first ones that I yanked down just because um, nobody wants to hear, you know, me talking with my drunk friend. So I love, I love you, Steve, but you know that that episode sucks. First of all, that's not true. Cause I have been drunk at least uh, twice on this, on this podcast. So, but you're way more fun than Steve is when you're drunk. <laughs> it's not so. a many rabbit. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a look at our top five. So I told you I gave uh, one tree Hill a five instead of a six. The reason why is I wanted to make sure that, um, uh, one of the songs tied for fifth. So, um, Here's here's our here's our top five songs. 
no surprise with or without you because Wayne and I both uh, gave that the the highest. That's our number one. Number two, still haven't found what I'm looking for, um, even with Wayne's crappy score on that. Um, number three, where the streets have no name. Fourth, bullet the blue sky. And then Wayne tried to tank running to stand still, but I um, I made sure that I I. Here it's rigged. Moved my score for one one tree hill, so I rigged it. So there's a tie for fifth, one tree hill with running to stand still. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I couldn't not have running to stand still in my top five. Yes. I, I tried to tank bullet the blue sky and failed. And so this, <laughs> this seems fair. <laughs> there you go. Fair All right. I can live yes. with that. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to ask, uh, are we, are we okay with this, this, well, I guess it's a top six cause we've got a tie for fifth, but yeah. yeah. All right. Seems Matthew, right. thank you very much. Did we change your opinion at all? Yeah, I think I understand. I think I understand why I like this record. So thank you for that. Absolutely. It's been fun. Yeah, uh, this was great. So, so tell our listeners where they can find all the happenings of fast romantics. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, go to fastromantics.com. It's all laid out there. But uh, just listen to our music. You know, that's all we ask. Don't don't send us money. That part of the music industry is dead. <laughs> yeah. And I uh, and I listened I listened to your record uh, yesterday on my morning walk. Well, so. thank you. Thank you. For that. Absolutely. So uh, last question. Uh, we ask all of our guests, who do you know that I don't know who should join us on our podcast to revisit one of their favorite records? Uh, you should get our friends July Talk uh, on with you. Okay. They're d- from Canada. I don't know them, and that's probably because I'm an American, and, and Americans seem to hate most Canadian bands. Oh, hate yeah. is a strong word. I, I'm just kidding. Unless you're, you know, Rush. Oh, Rush. Most Canadian. No, I'm not going to say that. We're, we like Rush up here. Rush, Rush yeah. is great. Yeah. I, I And I forgot to ask you, so uh, you Tragically Hip fan? You know, as a kid, Tragically Hip were like my number one besides U2. I think it was like after the U2 phase. So, but like Gord Downey is a poet and a lyricist is what I was really into. Not really into the music that much. Okay. But the guy and his words are just incredible. Bob Cajun is one of the best songs ever written. Oh, man. So stunning. Yeah. And his solo stuff is amazing as well. You know, I don't think I've listened to his solo stuff. Uh, Coke Machine Glow is the record to listen to. It's okay. Yeah. So great. Perfect. I'm going to go listen to that uh, later today. All right. Um, as a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes. Go to recordsrevisitpodcast.com. You can find all of our happenings on the socials. I'm in the Facebook page and the Twitter account, at Podcast Records for Twitter. Man, um, Wayne, Instagram page? Records Revisited Podcast. Easy enough. You can find all of our old episodes on all the major podcast platforms. Please go subscribe and rate or review us. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would tell you to go to a live show, but you know the drill on that. There are definitely uh, lots of live events that you can you can uh, check out streaming. Uh, in fact, uh, Fast Romantics have one coming up uh, very shortly as well. August 20th. Tickets. 
Give us money. We need money. <laughs> and uh, buy buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record. I would tell you to visit a record store, but um, you know you can definitely go on Bandcamp and support your favorite musicians. Uh, they need it at this time. We are Records Revisited, and we are out. 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 out.